0: Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father, help us to bow our heads, humble our hearts, come with a sense of expectation that you, Almighty God, will speak the word that we need to hear. This morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, my friends, we're coming to Psalm now 133. Psalm 133. It is the second to last of our Psalms of Ascents. The final one is Psalm 134. We're looking at Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Well now unity is one of those topics that at first glance may seem rather simple and easy to achieve, but with a little life experience and some familiarity with the history of the church as well as of political organizations and businesses, we quickly realise that unity is far from easy to achieve. Now, this psalm does not delve into all those complexities that we could list, but rather it celebrates the achievements of unity. But nonetheless, for us truly to appreciate what it is celebrating and how it directs us to achieve the beauty of true unity, this is a beautiful little psalm, nonetheless it is worth us realizing just how difficult we humans find it to follow where this psalm points. To begin with, not all unity is thought to be, without exception, a good thing from a Christian point of view. If you know your Bibles, you will know the story of the first human attempt to regain God-like unity, which was the building of a massive heavenwards tower And yet, that building was judged by God to be idolatrous in its very nature. And since then, humans in their frailty and their fallenness have many times attempted to achieve a human-centered form of unity, which can be frankly also idolatrous and can even lead to downright wickedness. Uh, Dictatorships give us a form of unity of sorts. But the barbarism of those dictatorships is a wickedness which no amount of claims to unity can override. So not all unity is good. And in fact, even in the church sometimes... There can be attempts to gain unity at the expense of higher values. So we are called to be peacemakers, of course, but not to be liars in order to achieve that peace, but rather to speak the truth in love so that we can all grow up into true unity, as Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians. The sort of unity that the Christian church wants then is the kind of unity that is around the truth of the gospel. But then having in these preliminary remarks said that not all unity is necessarily good, in fact some unity can be wicked. Uh, We perhaps need to give a name to that form of false unity to distinguish it from true unity. So we could say that there can be uniformity that is not unity. That is an external, rigid, even forced agreement, which is very different from actual unity, which is oneness of heart and mind. Unity, though, not only needs to be distinguished from uniformity, but also it needs to be held up as a much-needed value in our society today. Historically, unity has been hard to achieve, the true kind that is unity around truth. And church history witnesses to innumerable councils that have attempted, sometimes failed, to achieve unity. That unity. But while that historical witness shows us that this side of the fold we will always find it difficult to achieve unity, we must at the start in these initial remarks make mention of the fact that unity seems to be becoming ever harder for us to achieve today. We only need to look at the political sphere or the home life of many people today outside the church to realize that for some reason or other, we are finding it harder to achieve this beautiful unity that this psalm celebrates. Why is that? Or to put it another way, what is the secret of teamwork or true unity? Well, we're going to answer that question under three headings. Those three headings are the pleasure of unity, the origin of unity, and then finally the blessing of unity. First... The pleasure of unity, which you will find described in verse 1. There it reads, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now I'm summarizing this verse by the title, The Pleasure of Unity, because this verse is not considering the goodness of unity from the aspect of philosophical goodness or the study of ethics. This is not goodness in a cerebral, academic sense. The goodness that is being considered here is explained by that next phrase, which is that unity is not only good, but also pleasant. This is the sort of goodness which is experientially pleasant. All goodness is pleasant, but the particular aspect of goodness being considered here is that it is pleasant. I call it the pleasure of unity because I think when it is saying that the unity is pleasant... It is not so much saying that it is pleasant in the sense of something mild and moderate, but pleasure that counters our tendency to run from unity, thinking that the fun is somewhere else. You see, pleasure today can mean an experience that was morally wrong as well as one that was good In fact, the lie is out that satisfying pleasure comes from things that are wrong. But to quote C.S. Lewis, the devil can create no pleasures of his own, but can only corrupt the pleasures that God in his goodness has created. So goodness considered by itself, and here specifically in relation to unity, Gives pleasure. Now this point about the pleasure of unity is very important for us to discover the secret of teamwork or true unity. Because what often prevents people from doing the hard work that true unity always involves is the idea that the real pleasure will come from self-assertion or grabbing what they want at the expense of what other people need. The sort of behavior, in short, that always makes true unity harder to achieve. Instead, this psalm is claiming right at the start that unity is a pleasurable experience. And a pleasure indeed greater than the contrasting experience of disunity... Whatever selfish pleasures we attempted to think, you and I, might be on offer down that alternative path of self. Instead, unity, which requires some self-sacrifice and compromise of our preferences, is a pleasure greater than the pleasure of self-seeking. Let me illustrate how important this point is in this way. The great conductor Leonard Bernstein was once asked, what was the hardest position to fill in an orchestra? He replied that the hardest position to fill was that of second fiddle. To play that part requires great skill and also a willingness to be relatively more obscure, to be second fiddle. Yet, of course, without the contribution that second fiddle and other second chairs in an orchestra provide, the sound would not be harmonious. You see, this psalm may have been written to celebrate the brotherly unity that David experienced when he was crowned king and all the tribes gathered to him as one when they had been divided before for a long time under the reign of Saul. And for them to gather together as one now took the humility to play second fiddle for some, for the sake of the pleasure of being one together. Perhaps there is someone you need to find unity with. Perhaps what is stopping you is the feeling that it is not worth playing second fiddle to achieve that humility. It is worth it. There is pleasure in unity, a beautiful harmony. So, first, the pleasure of unity, second, the origin of unity. Well, we have already hinted that unity is achieved partly through being willing to put yourself second, but the images that verse 2 and the first part of verse 3 describe show us where that desire for unity originates. So it says, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard Running down the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, having said that unity is pleasurable, these images of unity here do not immediately seem pleasurable to most people today. What could be pleasurable about having oil poured down your head? So much so that it goes onto your beard, so much that it drips off your beard and runs down your collar. The response of most people to that description is not nowadays, how wonderful, but how messy. (laughs) Can you imagine the thought process of the average person today is probably how long it would take to get all that oil out of your hair? But before we assume that this description is simply a little disgusting, notice that the next image is more immediately appealing to most people, uh, even today. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Well, early morning dew, while something that might wet your shoes, I suppose still today has a feeling of renewal and pleasure for many. So given then that the second of the two images appears potentially pleasant, we should carefully consider what it is that was being communicated at the time by both of these images so we can see how it applies to us today. So the first image is referring to Aaron, Moses' brother, and his consecration as a priest, which you can find described in the book of Exodus. The oil was a sign of God's ordaining of Aaron as high priest. The second image refers to Mount Hermon, which was the tallest mountain in Israel at 9,000 100 feet, and then to Zion, which was about 2,400 feet. But the key to understanding these two images is the three times repeated refrain, a little hidden in translation, descend, 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 or running down, running down and falls on. The oil runs down from the head to the beard to the collar of the robes. The dew falls down from the heights of Mount Hermon and also from the mountains of Zion. This unity starts high and moves down. Unity has its origin high up and then descends. So these two images are telling us that the origin of true unity is not in our own human attempts at creating unity, but ultimately, unity comes from God. Unity is not something we achieve. It is something that comes down to us. Now, I've spent a little while explaining the images here, but this point about the origin of unity is so important that I want us to consider it a little more as an idea before I illustrate it and apply it after. Unity descends from God to us. Uniformity is a horizontal attempt to squeeze people into getting along together even though they have little in common. Unity is not manufactured. It pours down from on high. Paul, you know, makes the same point when he advocates for the unity that exists between Jews and Gentiles, not by appealing to what they need to give up in order to get along together, but to what they have in common as Christians. Ephesians chapter 1, he praises God for all that he has done for his people. Chapter 2, he describes what God has done as centering upon the grace of God in Christ, Received through faith, not by works. Then the second half of chapter 2, the application he's been driving towards, he emphasizes that the unity in God's people is achieved through focusing on the fact that we are one in Christ. It is, he says, in Him. That is, unity descends. When Christians are not acting in a unified way, what they need to do is to remember that they are one. They do not need to manufacture horizontal uniformity, but recognize anew their vertical and therefore horizontal unity. When Paul makes that point in Ephesians, he is merely reflecting Jesus' great prayer for his disciples towards the end of his ministry in John Chapter 17, Jesus there prayed that his disciples would be one as the Father and the Son are one, and so to be one in God. That is, our unity as Christians is not just a reflection, but a true expression of God's unity in the Trinity. Or in other words, as this psalm beautifully portrays it, true unity comes down. It flows from the head of the body, Christ, through to the rest of the body. It starts at the top of the mountain and by grace descends to the whole of the new creation in Christ. So we have had first the pleasure of unity. It is good and pleasant to be united with each other as brothers and sisters. That is a motivation for us to flee things that would divide because unity is pleasurable. Second, we have the origin of unity. True unity originates in God, is achieved by Christ's work on the cross, And our experience of unity comes as we as Christians remember that we are one in Him and therefore one in each other. Let me illustrate the origin of unity like this. There is a little limerick that goes, Believe as I believe, no more nor less, that I am right and no one else confess." Feel as I feel, think as I think, eat as I eat, drink as I drink, look as I look, do as I do, then I'll have fellowship with you. Our unity has its origin not in our personal preferences about music or culture or class or race, but in Christ Himself. Unity that attempts to achieve unity without doctrinal clarity about the truth of the gospel is pointless. For diversity without unity of truth is simply division under another name. But unity which is attempted through cultural imitation of a human personality, eat as I eat, look as I look, do as I do, that is verging on being cultic more than Christian. No, our unity comes from the top down, from Christ down, like oil falling down, like dew coming down. It descends. Now, you see, that emphasis on descent in this psalm is surely deliberate because all the psalms here are ascending psalms. It is telling us as we come to the end of the psalms of ascents that unity as brothers and sisters in Christ only comes as we are in Christ. You see, that means that if you wish to be one with us here, you've been coming along and you find it a friendly place. You want to be one with us here, you need first to be one with Christ through faith in Him. That also means that if you are a Christian but find yourself at strained unity with another Christian, the origin of unity is to renew your devotion to Christ through daily Bible reading, prayer, abiding in Him, that you may be one with As you are one in him, as God himself is one in his holy trinity. So we have the pleasure of unity. Seek it, for it is pleasurable. The origin of unity. Seek it through faith in Christ from whom all true unity comes. Then, third and finally, we have the blessing of unity. Well, this, my friends, is the second half of verse 3. It reads, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The Hebrew word translated here forevermore has the sense of life in its furthest expanse and so can look backward or forward and is defined by its reference. Here it is referring to what the Lord has commanded, and so this is life that lasts forever. The Hebrews, no doubt, had a less developed sense of eternity than we do, standing this side of the resurrection of Christ. Yet the concept of eternity itself is for us also one that needs words like endless and infinite to describe as we are talking about an existence that is not time-bound, so beyond our experience and defined by the reference to the eternal God. The word at the start of this part of the verse is emphatic, for there, there being emphasized referring to God's people in God's place under God's rule or His command. In that situation, God has commanded His blessing, which is this eternal life. And that is not simply life that goes on forever, but the blessing of ceaseless praise forever with the good God of all which is pleasant. This poem of unity then ends with a description of the benefits of being in the community of God, His people, as one together. In that place... As we are gathered together this morning, there is the command or word of God which goes out and around which we gather and which points us to the blessing of eternal life. The unity in the Spirit is so precious, so pleasant That it is worth giving up our own rights, preferences, hobby horses, cultural ideals, benefits, stature, reputation, honor to maintain. Paul urges us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Unity is pleasurable. It has its origin in God Himself. For us to be one shows the world that we are in Christ, and Christ is in God. Our unity is an apologetic for the Trinity of God. That unity is not uniformity. cannot be achieved at the expense of the truth of the gospel, for the origin of that unity is in Christ. But true unity in Christ in the community of His people is the location for the delivery of His Word, the blessing through which we may find life forevermore. I want then to present to you this beautiful flower, this beautiful rose of unity. There are each of its petals, the pleasure of unity, the origin of unity, and the blessing of unity. I want to present this rose of unity to you as something eminently desirable and worth making sure that we have. Perhaps there is someone in this congregation that you have not spoken to for many years, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Would you like that unity? It is pleasant. Then seek it through finding your renewal in Christ and uniting around Him rather than any differences you may have with the other person. If you are in Christ, then the first thing is to renew your connection to Him. That is the origin of unity. To bow before Him, submit to His Word, read the Bible, pray, repent of your sins. To come then to the other person in a position of mutual submission before Christ... And then the things with which you have found so difficult you may find disappear. Perhaps you have been avoiding coming to church for some time because you had an experience in church in this or in another place. Where you felt someone said something harsh to you and your reputation was tarnished. Consider the pleasure of unity. Surely you want it to be in the community of brothers and sisters. Consider the origin of unity. You do not have to agree with people on the color of the carpet or the size of the organ or the style of the building or the minutes of the committee meeting. Instead, you have a unity that originates in Christ. Here is where the Word that brings eternal life, if it is combined with repentance and faith, is found. Would you give up that opportunity to be offered the Word of life because of a disagreement that happened in the past? Or will you find the pleasure, the origin, and the blessing of unity? Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank You for this beautiful little psalm. We thank You for its description of the pleasure of unity. Help us to remember that when we are tempted to seek our own way. Father, thank you for its description of the origin of unity, that it comes down by the work of the gospel, your grace, the Holy Spirit to us in Christ, Help us, Father, to remember that, that we are one if we are in Christ. We do not need to make each other united. We need to keep that unity of the Spirit. Father, thank you for your words teaching here about the blessing of unity. That being one in Christ means that We will dwell with him forever. Help us, Father, to run away from all that might divide, not to have a fake uniformity, but a true unity around your truth, around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that that is our inheritance as your children And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.